Back to the Bible. John 10, 10. We're in the middle of what's called Eastertide, which means we pause and reflect on what it means that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And the implications of that resurrection are the implications of a new kind of life. The Bible is very clear that when Jesus rose from the dead, the power that rose him from the dead was something that God put forward and didn't pull back when he rose. It's still put forward. And Paul prays for the church and says, I pray that your eyes will be open to the power that's been released towards you as believers that is in accordance with the resurrection. Paul also writes in Romans 8 that those of us who are living, that we could, if we, if we would be open to the power who comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, it comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead would actually dwell in us, and that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, that Spirit is in us, will give life to our lives. Why? So that we can have a life that's different, a life that's supernatural that helps us to experience and see the world, not just like everyone else would, but with with this idea that God's in the mix of it with us and that his power is in us. And those early followers, they they, they thought about doing anything they could to to stay in that place where the Holy Spirit could interact with them because they knew that a fruit of that, the fruit of the Spirit, and, and one of the Bible writers said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And joy, which is the expectation of good. And peace, patience, kindness, which is, which is solicitous. It means that you're disposed to showing good and favor to people. That you would, have, that you would have the self-control. I mean, all these wonderful kinds of fruits as a result of being connected to the Holy Spirit. So they had almost OCD attitude. I want to find the spot where it comes out. The spout where it comes out. You know, The glory comes out. So that's why they would gather together. That's why the sacraments were formed. That's why the sacred texts were embraced. That's why they would fast. That's why they would um, uh, pray and do all the things they were doing. It's because they were trying to have these multiple encounters with the Holy Spirit because they knew if they had multiple encounters with the Holy Spirit, they would be different. They weren't trying to be goody two-shoes. They weren't trying to make themselves better. They knew that by themselves, that they're like everyone else. But somehow with the encounters with God, a new kind of life would emerge and the history, their history wouldn't have to be repeated. They could have an actual different kind of life. And so we read Jesus' words to them in John 10.10. 10, he talks about how, how there's an enemy in the world to our spiritual life. He talks, he's called a thief. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you guys may have life. Not just human life, we already had that. But that we would have a different kind of life and that that life would be full. In other words, we would have a, one one version says, have an abundant life. In other words, a life that makes you smile. (laughs) A life that gives you hope. I mean, even if things crash around you. That there's something in you that's expected. It's like, it's like Habakkuk, the first time that faith is, where it says the just shall live by faith. It's talking about Habakkuk. And Habakkuk talks about how everything is falling apart. And he comes, he asks God to own up to it. Well, how can this be? We're your people. Have you sold us? I mean, what's happening here? Uh, how can this be that this is occurring? He was talking about this judgment that was coming in Israel. And God just looked at Habakkuk and said, you just live by your faith. 
At the end of his little book, you ought to read it so that when he asks you, you can say, yeah, I did read it. It's just about four chapters. At the end of his little book, he, he, he makes the comment. He says, so even though there's no cattle in the stalls and there's no fruit in the vines and there's no figs in the trees, I mean, basically, there's, everything is desolate, yet I will praise you. And yet I will rejoice in God my Savior because he makes my feet like the feet of the deer that can run into the mountains where, where they, they, and I live in the high places with you. See, even if the world's falling apart and everything, there's something about this connection with God that makes you know that it's not over, what you're seeing is not over, and that there is a future. <laughs> there's a futurity. There's, a, there, there's, a, there's, there's something coming in us as believers that we can smile and lift our heads about. So, the problem is, though, is that if we're going to step into the new life, we have to make sure we process the old one. And uh, uh, what that means is it means that you stop trying to control your life and make everything better. I, let me just sidebar and say this to you. You're coming to Jesus and prayer is not so that you just fix your life. Some people just pray to fix their lives, you know. Problems happen, so they just want to get close to God to take the problem away. Or, you know, they're wearing a pair of jeans, and they see somebody else in another pair of jeans, and that's a nicer pair of jeans, so they pray to make their jeans get nicer. You know, God, God becomes a genie in a bottle. Right? A little prayer. <laughs> right? And, and if you're like that, I mean, God still loves you because he loves idiots. I mean, he does. He loves all of us, right? And it's not that he's mad at you about that, but that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about us giving up control of our lives. And, and, and instead of turning to ourselves, we turn to God and we say, God, here's my life. I'm willing to do whatever, wherever, whenever, with whomever, right? Kind of idea. And, and that is called repentance. Repentance is kind of an odd word to us. It's kind of a pejorative, mean-spirited word. So, you know, it's, it's hard to use it. But what it really means is literally just turning toward God. It's changing your mind is what repentance literally means. And so where we start is we turn toward God and say, I don't want to control myself, my own life. I don't want to make, make sure everything's perfect for myself because I can't anyway. And what you do at that point is then you receive forgiveness. Forgiveness for what? For messing up your life. Moving towards God is basically saying, I haven't done the best job of my own life. And receiving God's forgiveness is about a God wiping your slate clean. Did your kids or did you when you were young ever have an eraser slate? You know, you can draw stuff on it, you know, and stuff. And what's cool about the eraser slate is you can really work and then all of a sudden you get to the point, oh, you moved the thing the wrong way. And what can you do? Right? All you have to do is, and you get to start over. This is what forgiveness is. It's God letting you, giving you a do-over. <laughs> when, when the kids were little, and I wasn't ever a much a big video player, video game player, but when they were really little, uh, I would play with them because I could beat them pretty soundly. I mean, it's pretty easy to beat a two-year-old. <laughs> and I could also multitask while I beat them. But as they got to like three years old and four years old and got formidable... I'd be, you know, fooling around, and they'd be doing better and starting to beat me, and I'd, I'd start panicking and, and try to catch up with them. And if they got too far ahead of me, I'd just reach over and push the reset button. <laughs> Chad! What? What? It was an accident. <laughs> I love to lie on that level. Children. See, I love it. God gives 
those reset buttons. We get to start over. Which means we don't have to let our future be painted by our past. And, and, and our past, we, 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 not only do, does it help reset us, but what ends up happening is it, it positions us to step into what's called in the scripture righteousness. It's a big word. It, it just simply means, it means two things, basically. One is that you're made right. That when God looks at you, he sees you as someone who's right. That wrongs have been abolished. That you're standing before him as if you've done nothing wrong. And you're made righteous. God does that in forgiving you. It's just like you're positioned as a right person. Secondly, because you're one who's been made right, now you can do right. So righteousness is a tooth, it's a double-edged thing. One is it positions you to be right. And secondly, because you're right, you can do right. That's huge with God. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit more about that. But let's back up into the forgiveness idea for just a minute. The new life that God affords us starts with forgiveness. God, his forgiveness, it stops the destructiveness of sin. All of us know sin is really bad news because it pales us. It makes us less human than God intended us to be. Just go out and live in jealousy all day tomorrow. And look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day. You are not beautiful. Just live in lust or live in envy or live in anything. Live in anger all day. Live in anger all week, this week. And then look at yourself next weekend and ask yourself, am I a better person? If you're not, sin pales you. Makes you less human. Makes you more like an animal. When we see sin appearing in Genesis chapter 3 in that narrative, we see sin appearing in the human race and humans immediately begin to hide from God, hide from each other. They experience isolation. They begin to cover up and not want to be seen. And they begin to blame. This is what sin does. It, 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 in fact, the scripture later goes on to say that, that once sin enters in the human race, it wasn't just a decision. It actually becomes a, a spiritual, it becomes like a force, like a master that controls people. And, and Jesus actually said that people who sin, they are slaves. They are slaves to sin. There's something going on there that's more than just a decision. Sometimes we're sort of forced and chained into some of those decisions we make. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, he says, we know that the law is spiritually. He said, but I, I'm not. I'm sold as a slave into sin. That, that language, sold as a slave into sin, given our history as Americans, it's an ugly phrase. It emotes ugly images of abuse, prejudice, sin. We've been sold in slavery to sin. And Jesus says, we're slaves of sin. And then he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. That's the language of the slave. How you can relate to that? Things that, you know, you want to do right. You know, we start at the beginning of the year. We got New Year's resolutions. We want to do right. And a lot of times those pale. It seems like some of the things that really need to change, we can't seem to change them. And, and, and what, that's what sin, how it works. Well, God begins to break that power up. And the way that he does is through forgiveness. That's where it starts. Forgiveness, there's a Greek word uh, that, that is translated forgiveness. It's aphaimi, and it, it means literally to send away. <laughs> that when God forgives, instead of, you know, you've sinned, and it's been, it's been pinned on you. You've sinned. But when God forgives you, it's like he takes the pin off. And you're no longer pinned with it. 
and the pin is put on Jesus. And uh, it, it's as if you've never sinned. As if, you, as if you never did that in God's eyes. And in fact, the scripture says that God takes your sin when he pulls it off of you in forgiveness. He sends it away, afaimi. He sends it away as far as the east is from the west, which is infinite. And not only that, it says that he casts our sin. This is such a beautiful image, metaphor. He, he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. <laughs> That's a great image, isn't it? He casts your naughties into a sea of forgetfulness so that when you confess it, he forgets it. And it's as if you never failed. Forgiveness makes you and I stand before God whole. And you know what the basis of it is? It's not that you promise that you'll be good from now on. It isn't that God says, okay, I'll forgive you, but will you sign the contract that you'll never be naughty again? Right? God, that's not the basis of it. Nor is the basis of it that you're really, 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 really sorry. That's not the basis of it. Now, it's good to, to realize that when you're walking in forgiveness or when you're asking God to forgive you, I mean, you should have that impulse to say to God, God, I don't want to keep this up. I want, I'm open to not doing this. I want to stop doing it. It's a good impulse, but it, your forgiveness isn't based on that. And it's good to recognize that you have hurt God, that you have offended God, and that you're sorry for that, or you've offended other people and hurt yourself. I mean, there's some sorrow that should, that's appropriate to that. But those things are not important. They're, they're, not, they're important for you for healing. They're not important for you to be forgiven. All you need, the basis of forgiveness in God's mind is not what you do or don't do. The basis of forgiveness is the cross. It's what Jesus did. <laughs> Text in Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. In other words, he took care of our sin even when we weren't interested in him taking care of our sin. He moves toward us. He, God came up with this. You know why? Because he just loves us. Go figure. But he does. He absolutely loves us. And the, I think the best way we can understand this is when we describe him as father. Because those of you that are moms and dads, you understand with your kids that, that even when they're naughty, I mean, there's something in you that believes they could be better. And there's something in you that fights for them. It's, it, it's, it, I mean, there could be times where it's hard to forgive a child. But, but there's that natural kind of impulse to forgive family. Well, that's on steroids with God. It came out of God. He is the great our father right and so we get these images like the prodigal story is about this guy this kid he's called prodigal the prodigal because he's wasting prodigality is wastefulness and so here comes the prodigal who is all about wasting and he dares to come up to his father and demand his inheritance before his father dies in the story which was shameful which was embarrassing and so he snags what he can and he goes out and he just spends it on gambling and loot, you know, women and wastefulness and just spends everything he has, his whole inheritance. And then he ends up in a pigsty. And the scripture says that you know, he's feeding pigs and eating some of the pig food to stay alive. And, and the story, the, the prodigal's father is always looking his direction. He's not chasing him down, but he's always hoping, looking his direction. And so when the prodigal comes to himself, he says, man, I'm an idiot. And he starts going towards father's house. The father runs to meet him. 
And the prodigal starts going, I'm an idiot, you know, I'm wasted. I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I should be, I'm not even, it just let me be a servant. And it's as if the father doesn't even listen to him. He just hugs him and kisses him and throws shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger. And he calls everyone to throw a big old party and kill the fatted calf, you know. <laughs> and he says, my son who is dead is now alive. It's this notion of a reckless, loving father who's more excited about the person than he is about what that person did or didn't do. This is our God. And something in that moment of knowing he's like that makes you want to run to him. Something in knowing that it's like that makes you want to move toward him. And when you do, what ends up happening is that you're changed. The past stops losing its power. Sin stops losing its grip. And you can start doing right things and be different and have a new life. You need to think about this. I mean, God forgives you no matter what you've done. This is really hard if you've been really bad. If you've done serious offenses that have hurt people, crimes, things that uh, are shameful, it, 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 it's really hard to believe that God forgives you no matter what. I mean, I, I've been there. I mean, <laughs> there were times in my life I just could not believe God forgave me. I failed too deeply. But I remember at one point, I had to face this question. It's a theological question. But I had to face it. Is what I did greater than what Jesus did? Is my sin more powerful to stain my life than Jesus' blood to cleanse my life? Am I really that powerful that what I did beats poor little Jesus? That's really what it boils down to. Because at the end of the day, what sin does is make you full of yourself, full of self-pity, full of self loathing and you just want to beat yourself you want to just just make yourself feel bad because you're such an idiot you're so stupid so you want to hurt yourself that's a lot of times what drives addictions is that people they give way to the addiction that's destroying them simply because they think they deserve to be destroyed and what they're really saying without realizing it is that they believe that what jesus did was a small matter to what they did your unwillingness to forgive yourself is a penultimate pride. It's absolutely pride expressed because you are bigger than God. Realizing you're forgiven, it, it just rips the self-pity and the self-loathing out of you and it transforms you. And I think that's why God makes forgiveness so simple. <laughs> I think what God's saying when he says, don't worry about your sin. All the sin of the world has been taken on Calvary. Don't worry about it. Don't freak out about your sin. Because what I think he's saying is, just get over here and let me mess with you. Let me change you. Second Corinthians 5, the scripture says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. You know, making friends with the world, taking away anything that was between God and humans. God was doing that through Jesus, taking away. Not counting people's sins against them. Not counting People sin, not counting people's sins against them. Not counting your sins against you. God is not counting your sins against you. God is not counting your sins against you. 
Unless you vote wrong. Right? Not counting your sins against you. That's what he says. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. See, the, 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 God forgives everyone. God has forgiven everyone in Christ. You say, well, then why do people get in trouble in eternity? If God's forgiven everyone, why do people end up lost in eternity? It's because people don't always hear to receive or they don't receive the forgiveness God has done. You have to be open to coming to him to receive the forgiveness. That's what protects you. It's not that God's mad at people. You just have to receive forgiveness. This is why the only unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because remember Jesus said this in multiple places actually, but Matthew 12, and so I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. But what's he talking about? The Holy Spirit's job is to lead people to Jesus. His whole deal is to glorify the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? He is personalized or personified forgiveness. So if you don't, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, if you dis, discard the Holy Spirit, that means you're discarding the person who is forgiveness, which means you're discarding forgiveness, which is unforgivable because you can't, you've discarded it. The, the point of all this is God's just not freaked out by your sin. He's not freaked out by your past. And he doesn't want sin to be an issue for you. He wants you to be free from shame, free from hiding, free from assessing blame. He wants you to live free so that you can act right. Because the reality of what he's after is people living rightly. See, this is, the, this is how the kingdom of God is expanded, is by right living. Uh, there's a great verse in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, but about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. In other words, the thing that represents God's kingdom, the scepter. You remember when um, uh, the old dude, uh, um, Joseph, is Joseph? Yeah, Joseph, is, is uh, uh, serving under uh, Pharaoh. And uh, uh, Pharaoh gives him the right to make all these rules in, in the whole nation of, of Egypt. And it says that, that Pharaoh gave him the scepter. And everywhere he went, people bowed. And everything he said, they listened to because the expansion of Pharaoh's kingdom was represented by the, by the scepter. The way that God's kingdom is expanded into your home, the way that God's kingdom is expanded into your job, the way that God's kingdom is expand, expanded into our culture, the way that God's kingdom is expanded into your personal life is when you do Right. Righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. It's when you're forgiven and you know you've been made right so that you can act right. And every right action you take expands the kingdom. That's why God doesn't want you to live in sin so you're not living in this disarray and being torn down. He wants you to say, come here, let me forgive you. Let me set you right. And now do the next right thing. <laughs> Just the next right thing. I had a guy a couple of years, two, two Christmases, so about 18 months ago, two Christmases ago, just right before Christmas, called me and said, Ed, can I see you? Well, I knew him because he had attended church some years ago. He lives out of town. He said, my life is a disaster. Going through a divorce, um, was involved with drugs, infidelity, just the whole, just his life was a mess. So I said, sure, I'll meet you. So I, I, I showed up at a, at a Starbucks uh, around uh, downtown in, or midtown, and, and um, he walked in, and he, it was about 11 in the morning, and he was drunk. 
and just a disaster. And I looked at him and I grabbed him, hugged his neck, sat him down. I said, you're in trouble, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, listen, let me tell you something about God. He's not thrown when your life's a disaster. In fact, the beginning of creation, read the first verses of creation. It didn't look good. It says that there was, that, that, the, that the earth was void and dark and chaotic and it was formless and, and, and nothing was going on, but the Holy Spirit was still there. When, nothing, when everything's void and dark and formless and everything's wrong, God's there. And I said, creation started with first thing I told him is God begins to separate light from dark, right from wrong. He begins to separate ground from water. There's no fruitfulness. There's no life. But there's something going on. And God steps back and says, it's good. I said, listen to me. I said, all you need to do is ask God this one thing. What's the next right thing? Not, what do I do? How do I put my whole life together? I, said, I have no idea. I have no idea. Your life is in the land of the double suck. And you will never figure this out. I said, but what you can do is ask God, what do I do today? What's the next right thing? I said, for you, I think it's just asking God to forgive you for messing your lives up so bad. Just start there. Then say, okay, God, what's next? And you know, I just saw him just a couple months ago. He sat down with him. His life is together. Things are falling together. There's still some achy spots. But he's looking at me, and I said to him, I said, okay, tell me the journey. Tell me how this has been going. I said, what helped you the most? He said, when you told me, do the next right thing. If you're in complex places, I am telling you, the scepter of God's kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. It's just doing the next right thing, but you can't even do that until you experience forgiveness and you're made right. So you can ask, okay, what's next right? Yeah. It doesn't matter how messy your life is. And the good news is, is that forgiveness is available through the whole process. Because I wish that, that, that those moments, I, I used to pray when I was a kid. I'd come down and I'd say, oh God, will you touch me in such a way that I will forever serve you wholeheartedly? You know, that moment, that special moment of God's such commitment, such dedication that I just go, oh, perfection. <laughs> You know, it was like, it was like <laughs> you remember Spider-Man? You remember the, the Peter Parker? He's just, you know, minding his own business, but he goes to the lab, and in the lab, the spider that's been radioactivized, you know, falls on him and bites him, and he falls out under the power of the spider. And then, see, and then he gets up, Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can, right? I wanted God to bite me <laughs> at the altar. And bite me so fall out under the power under such an anointing. But I get up, godly man, godly man, does whatever a godly man can. Preach the word, live in faith, no more sin. <laughs> That's what I wanted. But God didn't do it. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He lets you be weird. And, and salvation comes to us in spots. Man, was I a good Christian when I went to church. But when I was out of, away from church, sometimes it wasn't as good. I, I, would, I was like measles. You know, measles comes in spots. Salvation was spotty in my life. But here's the good news. The spots will grow if you stay running at him. 
You don't have to be perfect. And this is my last text. This is 1 John 1, 9. This is the, uh, the good news that forgiveness is always available as you learn to act right more consistently. And listen to me. People never overcome problems because they don't believe in forgiveness. I don't care how bound you are. I don't care if you're addicted to alcohol. I don't care if you're addicted to sex. I don't care if you're addicted, whatever you're addicted to. Addicted to envy, addicted to buying stuff every time you get sad, addicted to eating whole pies every time you have a moment of, of depression. I don't care what you're, it doesn't matter what you're addicted to. You will keep going back to there and back there, and the only reason you will not change is not because God is not big enough, it's because you don't believe in forgiveness. You don't believe that every time you come to God with that stupid thing, that he will forgive you and make it as if it didn't happen. See, it's hard to believe. You know, you do it once a week. What are you doing it three times a day? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like if, you know, Jesus told me, if Preston offends me today, that I'm supposed to forgive him. And, and then I say, Lord, do I, how many times do I have to do that? <laughs> Seven? And Jesus goes, ah, it's more like 70 times seven. And then Luke adds a day. This is how to ruin a person's life right here. Jesus is out to ruin your life. Because that means I've got to forgive this guy 490 times a day, every day. That's not good news for me. Well, it is because he's nice. But the point is, is that if God asks me to do that, and you to do that, how much does he forgive us? First John 1 says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all the unrightness of it. Unright so we can be right. right? So he's faithful. <laughs> when, when I, was, I love this verse. It's a great go-to verse. When I was younger, particularly trying to figure out how to live. And every time I've had issues that I've had to get out of, this verse is the verse that you want to go to. Because what it's saying is God's faithful to forgive you every time, no matter how much you're struggling. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to promise you'll never do it again. What you need to do is just come. Do the next right thing if you're failing a lot. Just keep coming back. If it's 490 times a day, keep coming back. And if you come to him, he's faithful. And I remember as a young person, I was 16 years old, I think was when this happened on my birthday, is I was saying to God, I, I said, God, I, I felt like I was misusing this in some way. And I felt, what's even the use of confessing to you? I'm such an idiot. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to submit to my parents and do all the things I'm supposed to do. You know, when you first come to Christ, they just say, give your life to Jesus. They don't tell you all the stuff you got to do. And as the to-dos piled up, you got to go to church, you got to have a devotional life, you, you've got to manage your, your uh, impulses, you, you know, all that, you can't live in anger, you know, just a, a multitude of things. And I was finding all those plates started falling, and I'm, I'm failing more than I'm winning, at least it seems like that to me. And I remember saying to God, God, I am more faithful to sin. I'm, I'm too faithful to sin. And, I, and I, I feel it was the Holy Spirit who said to me, God is more faithful to forgive you then you are faithful to sin. You will never beat God in this regard. Now, why is that? Because when you, you come to God in forgiveness and when you open up to God in your heart, what ends up happening is you recognize God's not a God of a second chance. He's the God of the chance and the chance and the chance and the over and the over and the do-over and the do-over. 
Why? Because he does not want you to freak out about being messy. And what he wants you to do is keep coming to him, and you'll realize that in coming to him, slowly he'll begin to transform you. Sin will lose its power. You'll be made right, and you'll start to actually act right, and your life will be different. stand I used to think every time I sinned I had to I knew I got a do over but I thought I had to start over so I'm climbing the ladder following Jesus and I'm getting up 10 stories and I'm living well and things are going right and then I realize I'm in pride over it (laughs) and it's like I fall off the ladder and I got to start over and I go up five stories and get up a little further, and all of a sudden some stupid anger moment will come or lust moment will come or something happening, and I think, oh, I'm such an idiot. Ah! <laughs> Have to start over. And uh, one, one day <laughs> I was, was actually on the back end of some stupid experience and sin, and I, I, I'm saying, God, I'm such an idiot. You know, I'm just, you know, that kind of thing, self-beating, you know, as though that's helping something. You know, Jesus' beating wasn't enough. I got to beat myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I, God, I'm so stupid. And I, and I got this image in my mind, because I'm thinking I got to start all over again. Here I go again. I got this image in my mind. When I was a kid, they took me, and my parents took me to the Statue of Liberty. And the old stairs, there used to be an old stairs. There's new ones now, but it's still pretty skinny. These old stairs went all the way up to the Statue, to the uh, crown in the Statue of Liberty. And back then, in the old stairs, every couple of turns, there was a seat that you could sit out on if you got too tired because you got hundreds of people going up there. There's no air conditioning or anything, so it's like 20 degrees hotter than it is outside. And people would wear out. And so when somebody starts wearing out in front of you, you didn't go, hurry up! They're not moving! Oh, get them out of there! They didn't do that. You wanted to do that. But they didn't do that. Or somebody fell and scraped themselves. You know, you didn't just grab them and go, Rock! But see, that's what I thought. Every time I said I had to go, and start over. But, but, but what, what in that moment, in that little moment of prayer when I'm beating myself on the head, it, it was like I saw that chair. You know, I, I'm, I'm crawling up. I'm too tired. I've slipped. I've scraped myself. I've sinned. And it was like God was saying, you don't have to jump off and start over. Just, just find that seat. <laughs> right? Just, just, just get out there and sit down for a second. Catch your breath and then continue your ascent. First John 1, 9. You can win in life. You don't have to stay the way you are. It's good news. God bless you.